podcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this webinar on data flow mapping. My name is Alice Turley, and I will be your host this afternoon to discuss data flow audits and data mapping as an aid to GDPR compliance. I am a data protection and compliance consultant and trainer with IT Governance Europe. My background is in compliance, data protection and consumer protection in the insurance, advertising and education sectors across the last 19 plus years. Um, IT Governance itself is a company that has grown very substantially uh, to become a global one-stop shop for everything to do with information security, data protection and GDPR. This means we provide services not just to do with uh, service management um, and project management, but much more substantially with business continuity, instant management, penetration testing, PCI, uh, cyber resilience, ISO 27001, and of course, the general data protection regulation. We are a single entity that you can go to to get everything that you might need in order to get yourself GDPR compliant uh, with a package of products and services that are appropriate for your organization. We work with organizations of all sizes in all sectors and in all parts of the world. A lot of what I'm saying in this webinar today is um, actually drawn from the experience of the last 16 plus years and the thousands of organizations uh, who we have worked with to tackle GDPR and information security projects. Firstly, today we are going to have a brief look at the impact of the EU General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, its scope and penalties. Um, if you attended my recent webinar on data protection impact assessments or the previous webinar on first steps towards GDPR compliance, you will recognize the first three slides discussing scope and penalties. Apologies in advance, um, as these uh, three slides will appear a little bit repetitive to anyone who attended my last two webinars, but please uh, bear um, with me as they are necessary for everyone else. Secondly, we will take a look at what a data flow is, what elements should be contained within a data flow, and discuss some challenges that arise during data mapping. We will then consider some techniques for data mapping and questions that should be asked when completing a data mapping exercise. My colleague Gary uh, will be joining us then to give you a live demonstration of our data flow mapping tool, which has been developed by our subsidiary company, Vigilant Software, and is available through our IT governance shop. And finally, then we will look at the practical steps you can take to conduct a data mapping exercise. I will be talking for um, about uh, 20 minutes or so before we hand over to Gary. All in all, we should be talking for about 45 minutes um, and you will have an opportunity at the end of the webinar to pose questions. Everyone is muted during the presentation in order to remove background noise. So if you have any questions you would like to ask during the webinar, please use the questions function in the GoToWebinar panel on your screen. Uh, you will see a box marked questions. If you open that box, you can type your questions in here during the webinar um, and when we get to the Q&A section at the end, I will read out the questions and share the answers for everybody and I will get through as many questions as possible in the time available. So um, let's start, then we'll start with the impact of the EU GDPR. So Article 99 sets out the enforcement timeline for the GDPR, which everybody is aware of. It's in force um, and applicable since 25th of May this year. The regulation deals with the data rights of individuals, whether they uh, might be irrespective, as the regulation says, uh, of nationality or place of residence and applies to entities based in the European Union and to entities outside of the European Union who are providing goods or services to residents 
of the EU. The basic requirement is that those organisations that are within scope have to put in place a management system to enable it to clearly demonstrate that it's doing what it needs to do to protect personal data and to have appropriate technical and organisational measures in place to ensure it is appropriately protecting data. Uh, GDPR is binding across all member states of the EU. So the Data Protection Commission, who is our supervisory authority here in Ireland, has powers of investigation and assessment and enforcement uh, in accordance with the provisions of GDPR since the 25th of May earlier this year. You can download a copy of the regulation itself from the European Union's website. Uh, you'll see a link at the bottom of this slide, which brings you to the final text of the GDPR. It's important when completing a data mapping exercise to also think about the material and territorial scope of GDPR. In scope for GDPR is all personal data. So personal data is anything that can be used to identify a natural person or a living person. Um, GDPR um, makes no distinction between consumer and business data. So um, an, an email address of um, aturley at itg.ie is also personal data and therefore within the scope of GDPR. However, uh, info at itgovernance.eu would not be considered personal data and therefore would be outside the scope of GDPR. There are no rights um, under GDPR for the deceased, uh, with the exception of a deceased person's estate, which may include the personal data of a living person, such as a, a beneficiary to the estate. Natural persons have rights to the protection of their personal data, to the protection of the systems that process their data, and the unrestricted movement of their personal data within the European Union. The GDPR covers personal data that is processed wholly or partly by automated means, um, so um, essentially any personal data on a computer or a database. Um, and it also applies to any personal data that is part of a structured filing system. Um, for example, uh, any application forms that may be uploaded to a computer or stored in a structured paper filing system. GDPR therefore applies to personal data on paper just as much as it applies to personal data in a digital format. Um, the GDPR also applies to controllers and processors located in the EU, irrespective of whether the processing takes, activity itself takes place. Um, so this means that a controller that outsources its processing to somewhere outside the EU, uh, such as uh, India, will not escape the remit of the GDPR. And GDPR also applies to any controllers or processors who are based outside the EU, but are providing services targeted at individuals within the EU. Um, the regulation is enforced by quite significant fines, as you can see on the screen there. The fines are supposed to be effective, proportionate and dissuasive, um, but how effective, proportionate and dissuasive are applied remains to be seen, as it is to be decided on a case-by-case -case basis. But organisations certainly shouldn't assume that the higher level fines will not be administered just because it would be detrimental to the company. The new fines are a two-tier structure which means that organisations can be fined up to either the lower level fine or up to the higher level fine. The lower level fine of uh, 10 million euro or 2% of worldwide annual turnover based on the preceding financial year, whichever is greater can be imposed for certain breaches such as failing to notify breaches to the supervisory authority or failing to notify a breach to the data subject for not observing the requirements of data protection by design and default or even for failing to appoint a data protection officer where it is mandatory to do so. 
the higher tier fine of 20 million euro, <coughs> excuse me, or 4% of total worldwide annual turnover will be imposed for breaches of the fundamental articles of GDPR such as the principles of data protection, the lawfulness of processing, data subject access rights, uh, cross-border transfers, etc. Uh, administrative fines can be opposed um, in addition to or instead of the corrective powers of the supervisory authority. Um, and these include the ability for supervisory authorities to issue warnings or reprimands, or indeed order controllers and processors to comply with data subject requests. Um, as well as order an organisation to communicate a personal data breach directly to a data subject or even order a company to cease processing. When determining what level of fine to impose, supervisory authorities will have to consider the nature, gravity and duration of the breach um, and whether the organisation has been intentionally or deliberately uh, infringing GDPR. Supervisory authorities will also have to factor in any action taken by the controller or the processor to mitigate the damage suffered by the data subjects, um, as well as the degree of responsibility of the controller or processor uh, in the breach, taking into account technical and organisational measures. So given those fines and penalties, it is important that you know what personal data you are processing where you are processing it, um, that you are processing it in accordance with the law and that you were able to protect it. Um, and the reality is that organisations are often processing a lot more data than they realise. Um, a data flow is the transfer of data from one location to another. So for instance from the supplier into the customer and it might pass through a number of hands and systems in between. Data flows also pass inside and outside of the European Union, um, either because you have customers or suppliers outside the European Union, or maybe because you are using a cloud-based service provider that stores the data outside the EU. Uh, while a data inventory provides uh, some oversight of your processing, the reality is that processing is extremely complex. Um, it is only by mapping each stage of the process that you can be sure um, that you identify all the privacy risks, including, for example, accurately identifying whether you are a processor or a controller in relation to the processing operation. So data flow mapping is the key step to take to identify what data you've got, where it's flowing inside the organization, and what you need to do to bring those flows within GDPR compliance. Uh, essentially, what GDPR is looking for you to do is, is to walk through the whole information life cycle, starting with the collection of information from or about natural persons who are the data subjects. And what you are trying to do is uh, to see from the point at which you collect the data all the way through to the point at which the data is destroyed, um, as you, you should not be holding data for longer than is necessary, that the entire data life cycle is protected against any one of the potential threats that might undermine the confidentiality, integrity or availability of the data. Um, that is really the key objective of the data flow audit um, uh, or a data map. Uh, you also need to ensure you have identified the way in which data has been used to make sure that uh, when necessary that those people who are using the data or uh, about whom the data is gathered have been consulted on the use of the data and to make certain that any of the future uses of the data have been properly thought about. For instance, collecting data on grounds of uh, just in case, um, so 
thinking I'll collect this data because I might need it at some stage. This, this is prohibited by GDPR. So you need to be clear about potential future uses of data before you collect it. Data mapping challenges start with what personal data are, um, are we collecting? You need to be clear of the GDPR definition of personal data. So personal data is anything that can be used to identify a natural individual, um, a living person. It includes name, address, uh, email address, um, and less obvious items such as IP address, um, that may be health data, biometric data, anything that can potentially identify someone is considered personal data. You must also identify um, where you are collecting the personal data. So identify the circumstances under which you are collecting it um, and work out what kinds of technical and organisational safeguards you have put in place to protect the rights and freedoms of the data subjects. GDPR is about protecting the rights and freedoms of data subjects. It's not about protecting the entity that collects the personal data. So it's all about protecting the individuals. So you need to ask yourself what organisational and technical measures are in place to protect the individual's personal data. That means you have to understand the legal and regulatory obligations you have in respect of that data and ensure you can demonstrate that you are meeting those obligations. And when you are doing all of this, uh, you will be in compliance with GDPR. So a data flow map or data flow audit is the key tool to have in place to identify detailed gaps between your actual practices and the requirements of GDPR and to build trust and confidence in your data subjects as to how you are managing their data. The key elements in a data flow start with the data items. So you will need to identify the personal data that you process, such as name, address, email, um, any special categories of data, such as medical, biometric, um, and any criminal data, uh, data relating to convictions or offences. You need to consider what format have you collected the data in. Is it in paper, uh, soft copy, stored in a database, um, in a backup, um, on a USB stick? And how are you moving the data? Um, obviously, if you are moving a physical document, then the risks to that data is different than if you were transferring the data electronically, um, possibly by email or secure file transfer. So you need to consider the transfer methods internally between departments um, and business units and externally from uh, the organization to third parties, um, as well as considering any data flows that are trans-border. You also need to consider where is the data being collected and stored? Uh, is it stored in an office, in a database? Um, is it with a supplier or another third party? Is it in a cloud or in a backup? So there are four key elements in a data flow audit, your data items, your formats, your transfer methods, and your locations. Um, and depending on the scale of your processing and size of your organization, you may find that it will be necessary to draw separate data maps for each individual project or, or operational process. So moving on, we will now consider some of the techniques that can be used for gathering the information you need to complete your data flow. So there are a number of ways uh, which you can gather the data because the reality is that many organizations do not have documented workflows. Um, if you are an ISO 27001 or an ISO 9001 company or any company with a certified management system, 
then you may well already have a documented workflow um, in place, which is therefore a good starting point for you in terms of looking at your personal data. You can take your documented workflow and track specifically the personal data moving through the workflow. Remember, um, GDPR data flow mapping is only concerned with personal data, not other data. So um, look at existing workflows. Uh, have workshops with everybody involved in a process to find out what data they are using and how they are handling it. You could design and circulate questionnaires. You could have a team who goes around and watches how personal data is collected, processed, and what actually happens to the data. What you are trying to do with a data flow audit is, is to determine what actually happens rather than what happens in theory. Um, if your theory about how your data is flowing is different from reality and you have a breach in reality, then you're going to have a fine in reality. Um, you might do a data flow with post-it notes to encourage input and opinions or use a whiteboard uh, as, it, as it is quick and easy to draw on. Uh, you can talk to members in the operational teams to see what happens to the data next. You can use mind map tools or template drawings to add structure to the discussions. So these are all techniques which you can use um, to map data. Uh, this is one example of the sort of detailed data flow that might exist um, in a department of an organization. This uh, data flow map looks only at the processing of personal data within the IT governance sales team. Um, and it's from an earlier uh, version of the data flow mapping tool, which has been developed by Vigilant Software. Uh, having an overall picture of a process like in this map uh, enables you to understand what you need to do to manage your data. Um, Gary will shortly take you through the data mapping tool that equips organizations to conduct a data flow audit themselves um, and in turn then assists an organization to meet its GDPR Article 30 record of processing activities requirement. And this moves us on to considering what questions do you ask? Um, so whatever technique you use, how you are going to identify the inputs and outputs of your workflow. Um, ultimately, that's all a workflow is. It, it is something that has data coming in and data going out. Um, the output of one process could be the input to another process. So how is personal data collected? Um, this would typically be the first question that you would ask. Um, is it via paper, uh, digital, offline, by phone, via call centre? Who is accountable for that personal data? Who determined that this personal data needed to be collected? Uh, what is that data actually going to be used for? Where is the data being stored? Who has access to it? Who is sharing the information? Is it shared with clients, third parties, suppliers? Um, do these third parties share the data with a subprocessor? Uh, why is it shared with them? And do they need to see it? Um, how does the system transfer data to another system? Is the data hosted somewhere else? Is the data transferred out of the European Union? Um, what safeguards are in place to protect the data? Does your system interface with or um, transfer information to other systems? For example, if there are external applications you allow to integrate with your own, you will need to review the personal data here and consider the safeguards around it. So all of these are good questions to ask in order to think through how data is dealt with within your organization. 
Um, and this is a good time to provide you with a live demo of Vigilant Software's data mapping tool. So I'm going to hand over to Gary now uh, to take you through the demo. Um, so over to you now, Gary. Yes, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much uh, for passing over to me, Alice. I'm assuming that my screen is now being shared with everybody. It should be the CyberComply welcome screen. Uh, and I'm also assuming you're able to hear me as well. Uh, so as Alice has already introduced me, I'm part of the support team for Vigilant Software and behind the uh, development and uh, uh, process in uh, bringing a tool like this to market to ensure that it does help organizations align with Article 30. Within the tool, there's a number of areas that you will find will speed up the process. It will be a lot more in depth uh, moving forward with regards to showing the types of lawful basis, the types of transfers and so on. So what we're going to go through today is essentially a map that we've already built uh, previously. It's essentially a basic uh, uh, client capture map. It does look relatively complicated, but ultimately when you come to the end report, that's really what this is going to be able to offer you, uh, an understandable and very clear uh, readout to exactly how you process data, where it's stored in your business, how it transitions throughout the business and what lawful reasons you have for taking the data. So when we log into the tool itself, uh, what you'll be greeted with is over here on the left-hand side, a list of different groups of processes. Now, We've seen organizations use this in different manners, one of which could be, for example, you want to break them down into maybe the IT department, sales teams, marketing, etc. If you're a larger organization, you may wish to even break it down into subsidiaries of the business and then obviously have their own uh, processes fall beneath uh, the own company name itself. With the data flow mapping tool, uh, it is cloud-based. It doesn't, it, with that though, it doesn't restrict you importing from older legacy systems. Maybe you're moving away from Excel, things like that. With our asset library, you do have the ability to import. So as Alice was mentioning a second ago, if you are maybe an ISO 27001 uh, organization, 9001, the likelihood of you having such libraries is probably quite high, um, especially if you've gone through risk assessments and so on previously. The tool itself allows you to pull this information through through an Excel document and then creates a library in which you can then utilize across our entire platform, uh, not specific to just the data mapping tool, but maybe the compliance manager, risk areas, and some of our latest tools that are due to be released. What we're going to go through now is essentially showing you what types of information you're going to need to know uh, before creating the map and then ultimately showing what the map looks like, how we built it, and then what the report is going to look like towards the end. So with the asset library, uh, we're going to assume that that's now been imported and we'll show you what types of information that will require in just a second. To begin with, what you'll need to go through is some of our more in-depth settings areas. So we're going to have a quick look on here as this is essentially going to enable you to tailor uh, what type of information your uh, company deals with, what classifications you wish to give it under your records and so on. So under our settings menu, you have custom areas where you can modify and update your own classification fields, including disabling ones that you know you will never use or removing them from the tool to obviously remove user input. 
There's also a new region where you can add on custom regions. Now, the purpose of this is we understand that we might have customers that are in very large states such as the US. They may want to break down and be very specific on where data is stored, not just the US, maybe it's a state, city, or a particular office. This area allows you to do it. So you can enter in the specific location whilst retaining the main jurisdiction information just below. Below there, you'll then need to go through and uh, input all of your uh, company's contact details. This is essentially what's going to show up on the report when you mark yourself as a controller. So you'll need to input your uh, business information, your DPO's information, and then finally a representative down there. This is a one-time thing and it will just uh, populate the report each time you're set as a controller. The next stage along is the system itself does have a list of data items that are very commonly used uh, in an organization, but we do understand that maybe with the uh, healthcare sectors, maybe a military place like that, you might take more specific information where you can then input this in yourself and then make it available to the other users if you need to. This also has the ability to input your own custom data subjects. So we've just used some examples here such as potential customers and UK potential customers and then finally data sources they're not always just going to be from a data subject it might be you're obtaining data from a data broker etc once all these have been compiled what you can then do is return back to the data flow mapping tool and then begin your mapping process what we'll show you in just a second are the stages you'll need to go through to set up the process group as well as the process itself will end on the map as well so once we're into this stage, what it will ask you to begin with is to create new. So if you imagine there's nothing on my screen at the moment, you'd need to set up a, a group that you wish to add these to. Creating a group is very simple. You'd just enter in its name, subtitle and description. Once you've done that, we're going to choose a group that we've already been using beforehand, demo group. We then press select and it now takes you into where you're going to start entering in your core uh, values or your core information that's related to this process. To begin with, you'll start with the title of the process who is the owner within the organization. This could be a head of department, it could be a job title, or it could be a specific person if you want to be that uh, uh, in depth uh, with your processes. The next one along is then going to be choosing what your business acts as within the process itself. Now, if you were to mark yourself as a controller, it will pull that information through that you had compiled within the settings menu. If, however, you mark yourself as anything other than that status, so maybe a processor, you'll then be forced to enter in the controller's contact details and a representative from their side. Changing to controller removes all of this and then allows you to proceed on to the last three stages. The last three here is going to be your scope statement for the process, the purpose of processing as well, and then finally any technical or organizational security measures that you might have in place. Again, referring back to the ISO uh, standards you might be having uh, sorry you might implement that or you are certified you may wish to say that during this process it uses our uh, managed systems and that is compliant or sorry not compliant uh, it is certified to ISO 27001 etc once we'd compiled all of that you end up with something that looks very similar to this if we expand on here the example we're using is client capture for a marketing uh, campaign at the top here we can see that the owner is vigilant. We can see the scope statements, the process and data of a new client. The purpose of this is engagement of new clients with delivery of our services. And finally, the technical and organizational security measures we've entered as being uh, ISO 27001. We are acting as a controller, so you will not see any further uh, controller's contact details below. Below here, we have some additional fields that you can populate. So we've marked that, yes, we are 27,001, but we may also wish to make note as to which controls we're implementing against this particular uh, process. 
The next one along is going to show related legal requirements. Again, these are nice to have areas. It's not a compulsory section, uh, but it does give you access into the entirety of the EU GDPR articles where you can view more information uh, with regards to an in-depth insight as to source documentation, uh, implementation guidance, etc. The next one along is if you wish to leave tasks to each other, you may be able to create the process but not map it out. You'd create the process and assign it to one of the other users to go ahead and start mapping. If you have related processes across your business, maybe pre-sales and post-sales, you may wish to build a relationship between those two and you can do so under here. There's an audit trail, it just keeps track as to what reports have been run as well as what modifications have been made by which user. You'll then have an automated list here and this will compile itself based on the assets that you're going to be using within the particular process map. And again, we have I sections on here where you can select them and see a little bit more in-depth information or even return back to the asset library to make a modification. Uh, saving that change will then make it global and update any of the maps that that asset's being used within. The last two on here is going to be the first being related records. So this is just going to show any records that we actually have existing within our process. Selecting the I button will just give you that quick view to show the retention period, classifications, the format, who are the recipients of it, the data subjects, personal data items if we deal with any sensitive information, followed by the lawful basis and exception if you are dealing with sensitive data items. The very last one on here is to show if there's any related risks. This is if you're running a risk assessment uh, under ISO in conjunction with this, you can then link uh, to that side of the portal. It's not too important if you're just going through the mapping process itself. At the top here, there's a number of areas you can go through. Uh, there's a number of internal reports that you may wish to run. Using this one here, we just have a quick process report. This doesn't include any of the map data. It just simply summarizes the overall uh, process as well as those drop-down tabs that you may have gone through and populated. With organizations being very large, you probably will find that a lot of your processes are very similar in nature, um, but there may be a very small difference in maybe a location of a particular area, maybe a slight change in data items. To save you keep going through the same process over and over again, there's a clone button. It creates a direct carbon copy. You can then go in and make those small changes and then run another report based on the newly changed information. So. Once you've set all this up, you've created your asset library, you've gone through, you've set up what the process is, its scope, uh, what the purpose of it, technical uh, security measures, and obviously any further information you wish to add. From here, what you're then going to need to progress into is going to be the data flow map itself. Now, mine is going to look very much like a spider web. It's quite a common thing to see. Um, the maps themselves, they can be built exactly how you wish to have them laid out, um, as long as the core information is there. So when you run the report, it knows what information to pull through and lay out correctly for you. So whilst this does look like a mess, what we can show here, though, is we've got four data items ultimately coming into our process. So if we selected on this first link here, we can show the data input is from client data and our data subject is going to be our client. Selecting this dotted line over here is going to show new data entering into a process. We come over here on the right hand side, you can change what the data source is. So we have that custom region, or sorry, that custom area for the data broker. We can then modify or name the reference associated with that data. We can show the method in which it's coming through into our uh, process. If there's any comments you may wish to add, including documentation, uh, we've seen this being used in ways of, going back to Alice's example of using whiteboards, post-it notes, we've seen people take photos of them and just upload them, so they've got some form of basic reference point to move forward with. 
The last section on here is to show if there's any data encryption taking place on the transfer itself, not an asset, but just the transfer itself. So you might find when you're purchasing things online, you might go uh, from HTTP, google.com, you might then go to HTTPS, uh, google.com if you're making an online purchase it's more of a, a secure protocol so you can toggle that on and enter that information freehand if you need to now what we're more interested in at this stage is actually what data items we're handling if there's a record of data that's going to be created at this stage and ultimately what lawful basis we're handling over here we can see that that record that we looked at briefly a second ago is in existence here there's two ways in which you can show data moving through a process. You can either create a number of separate data items that don't necessarily pertain to a particular uh, record, and obviously those pieces of information may split as it goes through the rest of the process. If, however, you know that that record of data is going to stay as a record and simply transition through the rest of your business, you can create a record at the very beginning and then enclose the specific data items uh, tied to that record itself. So we can see here that we've got inquiries information here. We've got what information we are going to be taking from them. If we were dealing with sensitive data items, we have the list for that here, mental health, physical health, uh, sex life, et cetera. We then have down there the lawful basis that we take the information based on. There's an I button here. The reason for that is just to give you a quick uh, reference to uh, where we're looking at. So if we selected I here, it just gives you a reference to Article 6.1, uh, uh, lawfulness of processing. Below there, exception, this will remain grayed out to remove human error. If you're not working with sensitive data items, you don't need to have an exception in place. Once we've now complete, uh, completed all that information, we've shown how it's coming in and what data items, we can then see it progressing through the rest of the map. Now we chose to keep our record in its entirety, uh, regardless of where it goes to. So if it's going off to uh, a central CRM, if it goes off to a marketing team, an info team, that record and all of its data is gonna stay as it is. Now, we did show that the retention period for that specific record is seven years. What you can show, though, is maybe a particular asset doesn't actually store that data for all that long. So if we use our company website here, for example, so we're now selecting an asset as part of our process map, we can see this additional information over here. So what we can see at this stage is what the asset type is. Is it a web application? Is it a mobile device, et cetera? Below there, we can then give it its reference. And this is all stuff that you would have either completed when you're going through uh, the asset library creation, or if there is a change as you're going through uh, your process, you can make the change here. It globally saves it to the asset library, so then anything else that's using the asset will have that updated information. Below there, you have what it's operating as. Is it a controller of data? Is it simply a processor? Uh, we've just marked this as controller just for today's demo, but you can change this to joint controller, uh, joint processor, et cetera. Below there, you'll then have the location. So we've set most of ours to be in the United Kingdom, other than our last transfer from our marketing desktop, which goes down to a MailChimp, which is based in the US with the appropriate privacy shield, so an EC adequacy decision has been made. We'll leave it as UK, and again, we have these same options to leave a comment here, and also if we want to state that if the data is encrypted at any point. So if you're looking at maybe server-type assets, things like that, you might have encryption on those servers to ensure the data is secured even in a backup form. The last thing to do on here that I was talking about just a moment ago is you may wish to mark that Okay, the record we retain as a business is seven years, but it's not actually going to be uh, stored on this device for all that long. 
what we can do here is select known storage period and we could say that actually we only actually keep it on here for a day it's only a web portal it's only going to store it temporarily it's essentially the handshake going into our crm system so if we were to toggle this on it'll then keep track of that separately inside the report so we'll turn this off and we'll cancel out of here and we'll hit apply so just to recap we've shown obviously the data coming in we've shown the assets that are now going to be handling it surrounding the map are essentially the tools you're going to use to build it so we have at the top here comment tools it just allows you to allow uh, to place a comment anywhere on the map purely for internal reference only it's not going to show up on your reports you've got your connection tools which allow you to bridge these gaps your move tools allows you to manipulate the map into any form that you need it to be so like i said mine may look like a mess but i can tidy it up at a later stage if i wanted to the purpose of this is actually more if your map is due to expand or there's going to be a change you can do so without losing any of the data connections so as you saw there moving this all of the original information remains intact the last one along the top here is something you'll more commonly use it allows you to pan around on its canvas but more in, more specifically allows you to choose certain areas so uh, certain connections we can choose certain assets and also the data input that we looked at just a second ago over here on the left hand side is where you'll then be able to access the rest of your library so if you need to bring more into it you can do so uh, whilst what Alice was mentioned earlier workshops are a great idea they're a good starting point you might still find that when you're going through the process uh, maps themselves actually know we forgot this particular asset etc there's no need to keep coming in and out of the map you can create a new asset on the fly as you're in there it allows you to compile all the same information you would do even in the asset library once it's saved and stored it's then seen as a new asset and a new addition to the library itself You've then got where you can show multiple data inputs. So we've only got one, but you could have multiple. If we use a basic example, if you imagine a reception desk uh, in an office, that's going to have multiple different types of data inputs. One's being face to face, one is phone, email, fax, etc. The next one is the data subject. This can be utilized in two manners. The one that we're using is to specify exactly where this data subject is located and its uh, naming. The other alternative is maybe to show the return of data to a particular subject. An example for this could be an onboarding process through HR. More commonly than not, when you join a new company, you'll need to give over some form of ID, be that a passport, driving license. What you could demonstrate is that data coming into the HR team is being scanned, stored, backed up onto servers, but then ultimately you need to show that data being returned back to the data subject. So that's how you'd utilize that section. And then lastly, as I mentioned, you'll then have the rest of your library. There's quick search areas to help you find the specific asset you're needing to work with. And then down the bottom, you'll be able to see the rest of the library that isn't currently being used in this process map. So we'll collapse out of there. Uh, what we'll move on into now is ultimately the report and then I'll hand you back over to Alice. So once we've gone through, we've set up the process map as it stands, we're happy with it, all of the information is correct uh, to the best of our knowledge and what we're going to look at now is the report. There's two reports, they're essentially the same report but there's two ways to work on them. One is to export it into a Word document. The purpose of that is purely if you need to make a, a future modification. The reason for that may be that um, uh, you might want to just put your own company logo in you may wish to put your own internal reference and system in there that's entirely up to you and it's completely customizable right down to the coloring of the letters the one we're going to have a look at is the one that's actually built into the tool itself uh, what's handy about this is it's automatically pulling information uh, from the process map as we see it so there's no need to keep saving refreshing and so on 
So what we can see at the top here is section 1.1 is our process overview. It's just going to now recap through everything we've built up to date. We can now see the process name, who the owner of it is, the scope statement, et cetera, that we populated at the beginning. And then what you'll have at the very top here is essentially a summary uh, breaking down what the process is going to be entailing. So we can see things like the types of uh, lawful basis we're uh, dealing with and obviously how many data items that applies to. We can see that it does not entail the processing of any sensitive data items. It does include cross-border processing and then it does include transfers to other locations outside the EEA. You'll then have a snapshot of the uh, process map itself. It may seem slightly unreadable but it's purely because I'm zoomed out at the moment uh, just so you've got a clearer view of the overall map uh, system as you can see. Below there you'll then have the personal data inventory. So we can see here, we can see the records themselves. Uh, so we've got one, uh, we've got three of them in the system at the moment. Uh, and then we've got each one of the job, uh, the data items beneath each one. Below there, we then have a breakdown of the data subjects information. We then have an asset register down here, uh, basically encompassing all of the information. What we can see here are these hazard symbols and that's simply showing that something other than Vigilant Demo Gary, which is my organization, is controlling the data, whether it's seen as a controller or joint processor. The very last section you'll come down to is a tabled format of the transfers information. So we can see the methods in which the information is being transferred, whether it's an email, phone call, or face-to-face. -face. We can see the data source. We'll only actually have one in this map, and that's going to be right at the very top here. We've then got to the data items, and they're broken down into their personal and sensitive categories. We then have our location where it's coming from, where it's being moved to. If there's encryption on at that point, if there's any third country transfer information, this might be if you're transferring to someone outside the EEA where there has not been an EC adequacy decision made, um, you would then need to ensure that you've got the appropriate safeguards or derogations apply. The last step over here is going to be a note of the number of comments. And like I mentioned, comments are internal use only. It will not show the comments on here. That's another reason why some organizations actually choose to export into Word just to remove that column if they don't feel it necessary to be displayed on there. That will then continue all the way through, encompassing all of the different transfers, all of the relevant information that we would have compiled as we've created the map itself. And then you're left with this neat and tidy report. This will, at the very beginning, just outline under Article 30, et cetera. This is essentially the reason why we're creating this and then followed by contact details, et cetera. From here, we can then print this report for a physical copy or we can just keep an electronic copy in PDF. So from my side, that is everything that I'll be going through today with you. Uh, we'll just save these changes. Uh, and what I'll do now is I'll pass you back over to Alice. Thank you very much for your time. If you have any questions, pop them into the chat box and I'll sit on the meeting uh, in the background and answer them as we go through. Thank you very much, Gary. Um, I hope everybody should, should be able to see my screen back again. Um, this leads us on to our um, final section um, today. I went a bit too far. Okay, so we, where we are going to look at the practical steps that you could take within your organization to complete a data mapping exercise. So we recommend the following five practical steps for conducting a data mapping exercise or a data flow audit. Um, and I will talk through each of these now, um, each of these steps in turn. So the first step is to document the scope and purposes of processing. 
uh, data flow map is an essential component within a data protection impact assessment. You can work out the impact on the rights and freedoms of natural persons, or rather you cannot work out the impact on the rights and freedoms of natural persons unless you know what data you have, uh, where the data is coming from and where it is going, um, and for what purpose is it being processed. Um, so it's a key element um, in delivering on the GDPR requirement to embed data protection by default and by design within your organization's processes. Unless you are aware of what's happening to the personal data and how it has been dealt with, you cannot ensure that, per that data protection is, is fundamental to how you operate. So our first step uh, is to document the scope and purposes of the processing. The second step is to add personal data to a data flow map of the process if you already have a data flow map. If you don't, you need to create a data flow map that includes or is um, specifically for personal data. Um, so remember your data items. Um, identify the personal data that you process, um, such as your name, your e e address, email, any special categories of data, um, and any criminal data. Um, which would be data relating to convictions or offences. Um, step three then is to add the supporting assets um, which are used to process the personal data. So you need to know what the supporting assets are um, as they form for part of the control environment. So include the format of your personal data, whether it is in paper, uh, soft copy, uh, stored in a database in a backup on a USB stick, um, and include the locations of the personal data, whether it's internal with third party, uh, online, off-site, etc., um, and include the existing safeguards in place to protect the data. The fourth step then is to um, add data transfers to show the flow of data between assets and to make sure there are no intermediate um, steps that have not been mapped um, and also to enable you to consider security in the data flow. Uh, considering uh, security um, of data that's both in transit and at rest. You will need to consider where the data has been transferred to and if it's outside the European Economic Area are adequacy measures in place to protect the data. Um, the final step then is to review the process. Make sure there is nothing that you have missed out on. Um, many companies would have uh, the senior manager in each operational area sign off on the process flows for their areas. Um, it would be beneficial, um, beneficial to schedule a regular review of the data flow maps, at least on an annual basis. Um, if your organization falls under the requirement for an Article 30 records of processing activities, then when the data mapping is completed, the data flow can be used to compile this record. Um, remember that the record of processing activities must be kept up to date and so should be reviewed regularly and certainly after the completion of each data protection impact assessment. Um, so there are the five practical steps to completing a data map or a data flow audit. Um, of course, we in IT governance can help or help you to help yourself. We can provide things like pocket guides, implementation manuals, templates for all the necessary documents. Um, we have a gap analysis tool that enables you to work out where your gaps are and what you need to do. We also have the data flow mapping tool, uh, which you saw in the live demo, which Gary kindly took you through. Um, this will help you gain full visibility over the flow of personal data through your organization and meet the requirement to maintain a record of processing activities under the Article 30 in GDPR. We have a range of training courses that can be delivered online, in-house, or in one of our public venues in Dublin.
Bloom Cork, Limerick and Galway. Uh, we also have e-learning courses and posters that you can provide to your staff to build awareness company-wide. Uh, we also have a range of consultancy services, including conducting data flow assessments, uh, completing gap analysis, implementing information security management systems, cyber health checks, conducting uh, data protection impact assessments, um, and we offer a data protection officer as a service uh, also. Um, I'm coming to the end um, of this data protection webinar series with just one more remaining webinar which is scheduled for the 27th of November and this webinar is focusing on appointing a data protection officer. Um, if you would like to uh, join it please click on the link provided on this slide um, to register your interest. Alternatively you can register via our website. You can contact us via any of the medium shown here for any questions or queries that you may have. Um, and this brings us to the end of the prepared uh, portion of today's webinar. So now we will look at uh, some of the questions that we have received so far. Um, and just a reminder, if you do not, uh, sorry, if you do have any questions, please use the questions function in the GoToWebinar panel on your screen. You will see a box marked questions, and if you open that box, you can type your questions in here. Um, I will uh, read the questions out. Um, and I will aim to get through as many, um, I'm sorry, and then answer them, and I will aim to get through as many as possible in our time allowed. Um, some questions that I frequently get asked, or the first two certainly that I always get asked in sessions are, will the slides be available and will there be a recording of this webinar? So yes, the slides will be uh, sent out to everyone who registered for this webinar a few days after the webinar itself, um, and a recording will be made available in due course. Okay, so um, some questions then. So wholly or partly by automated means, does this mean we can ignore manual processing? Um, and this would depend uh, if the manual processes lead to the storage of uh, data that's in a filing system, well then it falls within the scope of GDPR. Um, do sports clubs have to adhere to GDPR? Um, yes, uh, data protection regulations apply to any entity that processes personal data. For example, the local athletic or GAA club will process personal data um, as it will have a list of members along with their member number stored somewhere. Um, they would most likely have special categories of personal data as well. Um, for example, um, medical details regarding any um, injuries. Um, do unsolicited incoming emails have to be considered? Yes, they do. You can reject them or delete them or ignore them, but if you process them, um, and you have to remember that storing is considered processing, then you have to tell the data subject that you are storing their information, and therefore you should be issuing them with a data privacy notice at the very latest uh, within one month of receiving their email. Um, deleting uh, personal data from backups is virtually impossible. What actions can I take? Um, yes, this, this is the case. Uh, GDPR, GDPR refers to the state of the art, which I believe means you need to consider any evolving technologies that will make it possible for you to delete data from backups. There are other organizational and technical measures you can implement, um, such as have an access control policy, so that only those that strictly need access to backups have it. Um, pseudomize the information, encrypt where possible, um, and ensure you have a suitable data retention and data deletion policy in place, especially one that is adhered to. Um, this really comes down to what you can realistically do. So um, GDPR doesn't mandate for 
absolute removal. It mandates deletion of data to the extent that you can possibly and practically do it. Um, and it is based on the risk to the data subject. And if you can minimize this risk by using additional safeguards, um, well then you may be able to argue that you have um, met the requirements of GDPR. Um, I use an external payroll provider. How do I ensure that the personal data transferred to the provider is processed as per GDPR requirements? Um, so you are the controller of your employee's data. Uh, so you need to ensure that you have a valid GDPR compliant contract in place with your payroll provider, um, which will instruct them on how you want the personal data of your employees to be managed, protected, stored securely, uh, transferred securely, deleted, etc. Um, as the controller, the obligation or the onus is on you to ensure that your employee's data is appropriately processed and secured in line with the GDPR requirements. Um, do you have to create a data map for every way that you process data? No, you may have uh, some simple processes where a data map does not add anything useful to what you already know. Um, data maps are useful for processes where there are a number of steps in the process or maybe a number of parties in the process and you want to confirm that you've identified all the relevant um, components. Um, I think that I think we, that is the end of the questions. Um, yeah, it, it, actually they are all the questions. I might just give it a few seconds in case anybody else is typing one at the moment. No, okay, no questions. So um, uh, I hope you found the webinar useful. Um, you can access, of course, all our range of products and services that can help you get GDPR compliant via the links and contact details on the slide deck, um, all of which are also on our website, itgovernance.eu. Um, we have a very substantial team of GDPR specialists as well as information security management specialists. Um, I'd like to thank you all for being on this webinar and thank you, Gary, for presenting on the, the demo as well. Um, and I wish you good luck with embedding data flows and GDPR within your organisations. Thank you very much and good afternoon.